Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi there and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Lighting Our Hair on Fire edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. I am the slightly sniffly assignment editor at the Journal and host of the Press Gallery. With me today on this Friday, February 6th, that's right, we're recording on a Friday, are my friends and colleagues, city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Sarah. Provincial Affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Good morning. And Provincial Affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Good morning, everybody. Our topics today. Premier Jim Prentice goes to Washington. Albertans get asked about the budget after MLAs trim a little bit off their own bay. And an astonishing lawsuit from Alberta's former chief medical examiner alleges that there's political interference in, of all things, the business of death in Alberta. And we'll conclude, as we do every week, with good stuff from the gallery. So let's start with this lawsuit filed against the province earlier this week by Alberta's former chief medical examiner, Annie Sauvageau. Because even though I'm no stranger to hearing accusations of political interference in Alberta, this lawsuit included some pretty surprising allegations, which I'll say right up front have not been tested or proven in court. Miriam, can you start by telling us what the chief medical examiner does and why she is suing her former employer and four high-level bureaucrats? Uh, Well, the chief medical examiner is the um, senior most forensic pathologist in the province. Uh, She oversees uh, the Office of Medical Examiners, which is responsible for basically investigating any sort of sudden, uh, unexplainable or um, death that has any sort of connection to the criminal justice system, that sort of thing. Investigating cause of death, you know, and all of that comes under the jurisdiction of the Fatalities Inquiry uh, Act. So... Um, really important stuff, you know, that involves doing death reviews for children in care, homicide victims, car crash victims in some cases, that sort of thing. So the lawsuit is really stunning. Kudos to the CBC. They broke it uh, yesterday before everybody else got a chance to get a look at the uh, lawsuit. It really does include a lot of um, serious, serious allegations. And as you said, they aren't, they have not been proven in court. Among them was the fact that she says she's, she was being excluded intentionally from discussions about things that were directly related to her office. Uh, among them was uh, negotiations to amend the province's body transportation contracts, which she said she was against because it was going to cost the province an extra $3 million over a three-year term. And she outlined some of these concerns in a letter to the Premier, uh, Jim Prentice, shortly after he became Premier of the province. And in it, she included a briefing note that documented all sorts of complaints that she said she'd received in the office about some of these uh, funeral homes that that are contracted to do some of the body transportation of, of deceased people outside of the major cities. 
And, you know, among them were bodies being transported in the back of pickup trucks, uh, funeral services, double billing families, and the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner for Transportation, people taking photographs of crime scenes for their personal collections, that sort of thing. There was also a lot of different allegations about interference in her office by political staffers, people trying to intervene in cases that they had no business to intervene in. Uh, so some really, really stunning um, allegations. She's suing for $5 million, uh, 5.15 million, yeah. Uh, for damages and lost wages, she says she was repeatedly assured that she would be given another term as the province's chief medical examiner, and she uh, finally did not have her contract renewed. Uh, the province says, no one's guaranteed to have their contract renewed and that her contract expired at the end of 2014 and that they chose not to renew it. So that position is currently open. There's a job posting on the Alberta government website, <laughs> uh, which doesn't have a lot of open positions at the moment, but chief medical examiner is one of them. Yeah, it's a pretty important one. Yeah. So, so Paula, what did you think when you first heard about this lawsuit and, and how did your thinking evolve as you learned more? Well, first I thought, dang, that Charles Rusnell and Jenny <laughs> Russell of the CBC and they beat us. Then I thought, uh, Annie Sauvageau is a very interesting figure. She's a very polarizing figure. She's uh, got a much higher profile, much more charismatic than your standard uh, chief medical examiner. She's also been a very divisive figure um, and has a reputation for not working and playing well with others. We saw that during the uh, roundtable into uh, the child welfare system where she was very resistant to any idea of collaborating with people like the uh, uh, children's advocate to investigate the deaths of children in care. I think she's quite had a reputation for being quite territorial. I also know after 20-some years of being a journalist that anytime you get an HR dispute at the center of a news story that it's always more complicated than either side uh, narrative would have you believe. That said, the allegations that Sauvageau is making are extraordinarily serious, not just about interference by politicians in the workings of her office, but about the awarding of very lucrative contracts to the funeral cartel, basically. Um, certainly, uh, the questions that she's raised, uh, I think, demand public scrutiny and, and answers. Have you ever heard anything like this, Graham? And and how big a problem is this for Premier Jim Prentice and, and his Justice Minister, Jonathan Dennis? Yeah, the one analogy I can raise would be with Lauren Gibson. He was the uh, former um, chief electoral officer in Alberta. He sued the province a few years ago yeah, for, for, yeah, for $450,000 because uh, his contract was not renewed by the all-party committee, mainly the run by the Conservatives, because he had released a, hundred, um, a report with 100 recommendations uh, pointing out real serious flaws in their system of um, elections in Alberta. Among them, of course, back then, the provincial cabinet was the one actually appointed <laughs> the, the um, returning officers in each riding. Um, so the, the cabinet actually would appoint them. He said, this, this is not right. So he had these different, different recommendations and said there's some real problems with our system. He also pointed out illegal contributions, mainly to the PC party. And his contract was not renewed by the all-party committee that oversaw that. And he sued for $450,000, and that is still in the courts, I believe, still winding its way through. As for Prentice and Dennis, Prentice is doing what he's done in so many different issues. I wasn't there at the time. You can't blame me. Mm. We'll let other people look into it. And that seems to be very effective on his part, just saying, look, it's under new management. That happened under the old system. I'm a new guy. You know, and so he's not addressing it directly. Will the issue hurt him? Unlikely. Is it a problem for the government? It's in court now. 
it's going to be going through court now for years potentially it'll be going underground basically if this election will make no difference at all hmm. and and so what was the reaction around the legislature to this was there was there much talk about it well i think um the law and i don't know if i mentioned earlier she's suing um Justice Minister Jonathan Dennis, plus four sort of uh, senior um, officials within within the Justice uh, Ministry as well. Because of all of the, the really explosive allegations that are included in the lawsuit, 24 pages long, by the way, and, and quite detailed, it really fed into this narrative that here in Alberta, we have a 43-year-old government that, you know, has its tentacles into all different nooks and crannies of the province and that... Uh, politics enter into a lot of different things, you know, in one part of the lawsuit where uh, she's talking about her claims that she was, you know, being left out of discussions and there were these negotiations going on. It says in there that she was told that, you know, they needed to appease the Alberta Funeral Services Association and they needed to, you know, appease the rural vote. You know, that sort of thing really feeds into that narrative that the PCs are this this dynasty that are incapable of sort of making decisions that don't have these political overtones to them. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see the statements of uh, defense that get filed. And, and as you said, Graham, it'll be months, years before this gets resolved, probably as it goes through the courts. Let's move to the thousands of kilometers away where Premier Jim Prentice was trying to inject some warm feelings into Alberta's relationship with the U.S. Tell us about the trip, Graham. Well, he's gone to Washington, D.C. He's there for a week. Washington, now he's in New York, meeting with politicians, usually uh, people who agree with Alberta on the pipeline issues, things like that. Um, He's talking to investors. He's uh, made a couple of, uh, I guess, keynote addresses. You know, he goes there and um, Stelmack did it, Klein did it, uh, Redford went there I think six times in a couple of years. She lived there, I think, basically. <laughs> but this um, is the Premier is going to Washington to wave the flag and say, you know, stand up for Alberta. With Klein 10 years ago, it was on Mad Cow. Get the border reopened to our cattle industry. Of course, he made no difference at all. Wasn't he barbecuing on the main street in Washington? I think I recall pictures, perhaps. Anyways, handing out burgers. Yeah, he did that in Toronto, I know for sure. I don't know if he did it in Washington. Uh, I'm thinking of something different. You're th- yeah. So anyway, he, um, so, so Prentice is there, and, uh, you know, he said himself he's not going to sell, he won't get involved in U.S. politics. Whatever happens with the pipeline is not dictated by Prentice going to Washington. The Keystone Pipeline will be decided by U.S. politicians. Some are in favor of it, some are against. I think Prentice goes in these things, like other premiers, to try and uh, get attention back home, saying to people in Alberta, look, I am standing up for you. I'm standing up for the province. I'm talking to investors, keeping the door open. And he is making contacts there. That's always good. But uh, overall, uh, this is not going to make a big difference to the pipeline debate. it's so important debate. that Alberta have a good relationship with New Jersey. <coughs> Well, I mean, yeah, inter- I mean, yeah. I mean Chris what, Christie. what is the thing with Chris Christie? I mean, Chris <laughs> Christie was here. Now he's there with Chris Christie. You know, it, I, I heard a, a clip uh, on the radio uh, of American reporters grilling him and saying, you know, are you only here to meet with Governor Christie because you think he's going to be the next president? And Prentice, you know, at, at least... You know, when we, when we let Prentice out of the province, you sort of know he's not going to actually embarrass <laughs> us. You know, he shows well on mm-hmm. a public stage. So he sounded very smooth telling the American media, oh, no, you know, he just, you know, uh, Governor Christie is a friend of his and New Jersey has lots of refinery capacity. But at the end of, of, of the piece, you did sort of wonder, why exactly does Alberta need a close working relationship with New Jersey? It's a long way from I here. hope it means we'll get more visits from Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen as well, but that's just me. So if this trip and was, Snooki, yes, yes. If this trip was more about catering to Albertans, as Graham says, what kind of review would you give him, Paula, in, in terms of his catering to us? You know, 
I don't know that it works. I mean, as I say, I mean, at least it's not, you know, when, when Klein went places, you were always a little bit worried, like your uncle on Christmas, uh, you know, what's he going to accidentally say? How is he going to look like Jed Clampett? Uh, you know, Prentice looks good in a suit. The sound clips are as, are as innocuous and inoffensive there as they are here. I still don't know what Jim Prentice stands for, and I don't know any better when he's standing in New York than I do when he's standing in Edmonton. You know, he's making a point every day of doing a teleconference with the media back in Alberta. So every day, you know, we phone in and listen to him, and we, you know, he talks for a few minutes, and then we ask questions, and it's sort of the same thing every day. It's a Groundhog Day, sort of the same thing, <laughs> same kind of questions. <laughs> we ask some questions what's what's actually happening back in Alberta mainly, you know, mm-hmm. because what's actually happening there in Washington, New York, isn't exactly going to cause... Uh, major headlines back here. No, I guess they announced a Department of Energy grant for the carbon capture project. That, that it wa- wasn't that even that. To monitor. It wasn't even that. What they're talking about, the U.S. government's working with Shell to, to monitor a carbon capture project being built up here. In fact, they haven't even signed anything. They're just talking about sometime later this year, they may actually have an agreement with the U.S. will actually look at the monitoring facilities up here. Mm. It's, nothing's actually being signed. It's just an intent to talk about maybe signing something. It wasn't something. even a memorandum of understanding. It wasn't <laughs> even that. Oh, heavens. Well, Miriam, how often do you think we can expect to see Jim Prentice flying the Edmonton to D.C. circuit? Oh, I think he'll, I think he'll um, make it at least a yearly sort of junket. This market access stuff is, is sort of a cornerstone of his, his um, mantra. I mean, this is something that he's been talking about since he was running for the leadership of the PC party. And he kept himself really busy. He met with a lot of different people. He he did a lot of media down there too, which I don't think Premier Redford did a lot of. Yeah, he uh, met with the Washington Post editorial board, which did, is which is big. Yeah, and and I don't know that that um, that Redford ever really managed to do a lot of that. Uh, he was also on NPR, you know, and so so he he was at least getting more attention. I noticed there were a few different uh, reporters that I didn't really recognize on the teleconference yesterday as well. So there seemed to be um, more of a draw, and I think perhaps he's going to continue to do this because it plays well for his government and and this idea of getting market access and opening up and selling Alberta's resources and talking about Alberta's environmental record in a favorable way and that all of that somebody has to do that well uh, while the premier was in Washington his finance minister was here in Alberta talking about the state of our budget I guess he the premier also was talking about it in the teleconference right mm-hmm. but so why why was Robin Campbell on the podium Thursday to talk to Albertans Miriam they want to ask Albertans what they think they should do with the budget a month or so before so they drop the I, budget. I, so I have to ask this. Normally, is the budget not already printed by now? Is it not already done and ready to go practically? It wouldn't be printed by now, but it's pretty much done. You're right. They've been in negotiating talks um, behind the scenes to build up this budget for some time. And mm. you would think at this point, I think that um, Brian Mason got it right, and that is this is them fine-tuning the message to get a sense from Albertans as to where they think things should be going and they can fine-tune the budget. And, and well, just take a look at the survey. I mean, the questions in there are fantastic. I'm t- what are they? Tell me. Classic like, loaded questions. I mean, you know, what do you think we should cut? And then there's a very finite list of, of options. Or how do you think we should raise revenue? And again, a very finite list of options. It also has the appearance of having been so, sort of thrown together slapdash because there are uh, a few, there were a few errors that people were sharing on Twitter last night. One of them was a question about uh, a tax and it said, Uh, Should we move to a graduated uh, sales tax rather than a flat income tax? 
Mm. clearly something off there you know it just sort of gave off this this sort of impression that it had been put together very quickly sliding sales tax would be exciting every time (laughs) like you you shake a magic eight ball when you get to the cash register people could get into that but it's not just asking albertans i spoke to diana mcqueen the minister of municipal affairs this week she's consulting with the mayors and reeves across the province uh sending them a very Uh, I think, uh, uncomfortable signals about what's going to happen to funding for municipalities. When I spoke to Simon Farbrother, the city manager in Edmonton, he told me that they're running scenarios for a 5% cut in provincial infrastructure spending, a 10% cut, a 15% cut, and then he paused and he said, and we're, you know, we're running a scenario for a 25%. Wow. Cut in funding. So the, the problem is nobody knows what's coming. The province is sending mixed and ominous signals. And I think everybody from cities to public sector unions to the guy filling up his gas tank uh, is no clearer on what kind of a budget we're going to get. The, and the end of the survey gives this rather ominous yeah. message as well. This which, is not business as usual. Yes. These are tough times ahead. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very ominous. I, I spoke to three different press secretaries this week, and every single one of them said to me, everything's on the table. And then they said it again. Everything's on the table. I, I, I don't know what that means. I guess it means everything's on the it's table. It's one of those ex- classic ex- things except that means for, nothing. Except for, of course, corporate taxes are not going to change. Right. And yeah, there's no royalties. Tax, that's not on the table. Yeah, and the royalties are not on the table either. Right. I'm so. back to getting you guys your T-shirts about all I want is a sensible tax regime. We need we need Bevoda to come in and write a knot before <laughs> everything's on the table. Yes, but everything's on the table in terms of cuts. Yeah. That's, that's the message. And th- this, this is also, this may be a, a classic example of politicians uh, leaking ominous, really bad news, and then only there's less bad news. You know, yeah. it's, like, it's like the old 10% tax hike becomes a 5% tax hike. And we all go, we all we're go, all grateful. Yeah, we're all grateful for the 5% <laughs> tax hike. We'll see ju- just how it is. Also, the price of oil, of course, is going up these days. It's uh, $50 a barrel. It's not it's not rebounding massively, but I wonder, you know, if it keeps on going up, I'm not saying it is, it likely will keep going down again. Prentice wants it to be relatively low. If he wants to cut spending and raise taxes or whatever, he needs a low a low price of oil. Yeah, it doesn't help if it goes it up to like seventy dollars. It goes up, you know, if I it mean, goes back it, up. Because if if what you want to do is crush public sector unions, you can't do that when oil's ninety seven dollars a barrel. It's and really you gotta, hard. It's, wants to collaborate, not crush politics. So, so you want it you want it to be like down at forty five dollars, and then that way people go, okay, fine, we need some strong medicine, and then you pass these these this budget. And then things go back up. That's great. Yeah, AHS is already, you know, talking this week about cuts. It's already making preemptive cuts. Well, and they're um, freezing wages. Yeah, which mm. is pretty yeah. stunning. And yeah. yeah, pulling back previously, you know, tendered offers. Speaking of pushing and pulling, just to reference the the, the title that we we opted of our of our lighting our hair on fire. How do you think it feels to be a former opposition person who's now? in the government while all this is going on. Daniel Smith had some very interesting comments to a local chamber of comments about... Uh, Graham, tell us about those comments. Yeah, she was talking about uh, being in opposition, you got to set your hair on fire to get you know, to get attention and things like that. And she's talking about pushing things through. Now she can pull things through the government mm-hmm. because now she's in the government. It's interesting, of course, you go back to last fall when Carrie Toll and Ian Donovan crossed the floor from the Wild Rose to the government. Um, Smith was very very critical of them, saying that they'll go not to the back benches of the government, you know, where they will be silenced mm-hmm. and nothing will get done. And now, of course, Smith is the one saying it's great being in government. Um, th- this is her going on this, I wouldn't call her speaking tour, but she's out now talking to various groups. She's talking to Okotoks, uh, I guess, uh, business group this week. Uh, and and asked to have the room cleared of media, which was interesting. I didn't know. That's I didn't what know I that. saw on Twitter. Well, oh. she did, she, I was watching the live stream. So she just, I, she, she asked for that because she got 
no questions. She got, it was sort of like that awkward silence and then someone sort of threw her a bone and asked her a question and then it again was very awkward and then she suggested that they clear the room of media because she felt like she might get more candid questions that way. Maybe people were oh, being... Oh, after her speech. Maybe they, maybe uh, people were being nervous to ask the questions in front of the media. And did she? Uh, they didn't end up no. doing that. I And I don't know if it was a matter of people just feeling like they couldn't ask the questions in front of the media or feeling like they didn't have anything they wanted hmm. to ask her. Well, how interesting. Well, we're at the point of the show where we need to fit into our own... Uh, uh, episode Good Stuff from the Gallery. That's our weekly segment where we share something we've enjoyed reading, watching, or listening to that's often, but not always, has a political connection. Paula, do you want to start us off? You have something very uh, de jour. Very fresh. Um, this morning, the Supreme Court of Canada released an absolutely extraordinary unanimous ruling uh, from the court. It's not written by any one judge, but they've issued it, uh, you know, with one united voice saying that Canadian citizens have a right to physician-assisted suicide if they're living in intolerable and incurable suffering, and that to deny them that is uh, an offense under the Charter because it denies them life, liberty, and security of the person, and they've given the federal and provincial governments only 12 months to craft a constitutionally acceptable law that allows for physician-assisted suicide in the cases of adults who are compus mentis and who are in incurable and unendurable suffering. It's an extraordinary reversal of their own 1993 decision. It's a very clear uh, and passionately written decision, and I would recommend everybody read it. Whichever side of this issue you're on, you need to understand that ruling today. Mm. Thank you, Paula. Miriam? Uh, mine is uh, from McLean's. It is by Paul Wells. Um, uh, John Baird stunned everybody this week when he right. uh, resigned the cabinet. Um, and uh, so I believe it's called Exit Stage Right, John Baird. Uh, anyway, in uh, McLean's This Week by Paul Wells. Yes, that was a pretty dramatic uh, piece of news on the federal scene. Mm -hmm. And Graham, I'll let you wrap up because I'm going to save my voice for the credits. Okay. <laughs> uh, quickly, it's uh, you can get it online. It's the National Geographic. Uh, it's a March edition of this year. There's an article online, and I'm going from memory. I think it says, uh, why do reasonable people not believe science, or some people reasonable not believe science? It's a really interesting uh, essay about uh, people in this, this day and age who don't believe science on the vaccines and climate change explains uh, why people uh, don't believe science and quickly as partly to do with uh, science can be counterintuitive you know the fact that the earth is round spins on its axis goes around the sun when we look at the world we think it's flat it's standing still and the sun goes around us science can be counterintuitive on issues like climate change people wonder how can a trace gas carbon dioxide cause all these problems you know, we breathe it in and out. It's not poisonous. Plants need it to, to, to live. So it explains uh, there just some of the reasons why people don't believe science. It's very timely. It's very well written, and it's um, National Geographic March edition. And it fits nicely with the Calgary Herald story today that we had on our front page about how 20% of Albertans believe that vaccines might cause autism, which right. is shocking. Well, that's it for this week. My gratitude, as always, to Paula Graham and Miriam for coming into the studio to talk Alberta politics. And equal thanks to journal videographer Sean Butts. He's recording a video segment for us that we'll share with you on our website. You can always talk to us on Twitter. I'm at SC O'Donnell. Paula's at politics. Graham's at Graham underscore journal. And Miriam is Miriam Dina. You can hear previous episodes of the podcast at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or through the journal SoundCloud feed. The show's also on iTunes, so if you subscribe, the press gallery will be there waiting for you every Friday, whenever I get it edited, which today will be a little bit later since we're recording first thing in the morning. We'll convene again next week in the press gallery.